Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined by Stefan Thomas. We're here at Wales' Vale of Glamorgan base, uh, just waiting for Warren Gatland to come in and explain some of his team selections for you. A little bit later on in the podcast, we'll be hearing from Telegraph rugby writer Charlie Morgan, while we've also got some of Wales's new caps, Cameron Winnett and Alex Mann, talking about their debuts ahead of their uh, trip to Twickenham this week. It's the big one. It's Wales, England. Steph, Warren sort of sprung a bit of a surprise on us. We were expecting to be talking about a team announcement today on Thursday when we record it. As it turned out, Warren went early, as he sometimes does, a day early. But what, what do you make of the team to face England? Um, the, the thing that strikes me, first of all, is, um, you know, if you look at the, the pack, there aren't that many ball carriers. And when Wales have been successful under Warren Gatlin in the past, it's, it has been, I know it's not as black and white as this, but it has been based on getting over the gain line, set piece dominance, and then playing off that. So I don't know whether it tells us that Wales are going to play a little bit differently, perhaps. Um, I know the second half against Scotland was a bit different because Wales were chasing the game and they, they were desperate. Um, it won't be the same at Twickenham, you'd hope not anyway. But that, that was the first thing that, that struck me. Um, he's obviously rewarded some players like Elliot D. Obviously, Ryan Elias paid the price for the line-out failures. Alex Mann deserves to be there, although obviously both of them's injured, so that made it easier. So he he has he has picked on form, but the the one thing that concerns me is is the scrum, the set piece, because um, obviously Asrati's decent scrummager, but England are a different beast to to Scotland, and Archie Griffin's uncapped, and and obviously just the the lack of of carriers that can really get over the gain line. So it, there's talent in the team, but that's the question mark for me. Just how can we match England physically? That's the question I think. Yeah, and I suppose on the, on the other side of that, maybe he's trying to negate a bit of that. Corey Domachowski, I thought, played really well. Went the full 80 last week. Um, probably quiet in the first half of this ball carrying, but certainly held up well in the scrum against Sander Ferguson. Second half, I thought he really came on. Was sort of leading those little sort of pods of three. Uh, was was handling the ball well, and that helps with the carrying. If, you, if you're given a sort of if you're making yourself look like, look like a credible threat to, to sort of give a tip on pass, to give a pass out the back, the defence sort of has to drift off you a little bit and then you start hitting weak shoulders and that's what he did. So I think him not getting a, a sort of the reward of that performance probably speaks volumes to how Gareth Thomas is seen yeah. by the Wales coaches in terms of his importance at the scrum. And I, I guess if you look at Corey Domachowski, he probably does suit that sort of style of coming on for 30 minutes and being just all over the park and destructive. Um, but then it's, it's, it's a slightly, I don't know, it's, a, it's the, the bench is, is a bit of a mixed one. Um, and there's no Gareth Davis, he's dropped out. Uh, obviously Thomas Williams starts, which we expected, but it's Kieran Hardy on the bench. And I don't know, is, is there a sense that, you know, Gareth Davis has the second most caps in this team and, and Gatlin spoke about him being an experienced leader before the tournament. Every time he spoke about experience, he mentioned North and he mentioned Gareth Davis. I think it's clear, looking at last week, that the coaches don't see the first half performance as what they told the players to do. And all that, that kick, the sort of kick-heavy game, you know, kicking, largely kicking not to compete, really. Uh, it was poor execution, uh, kicking off early phases, uh, the start of plays they had in midfield. All through the week, the coaches have said that was the senior leaders' calls on the pitch. 
is this an element of, well, Gareth Davis is one of the most senior. Here's the message. You've got to be more expansive and, and, and free in your mindset. Otherwise, you will not be in this squad. Yeah, I've got, I got mixed feelings on it because um, obviously in terms of executing the game plan, that large does fall at the feet of the halfbacks. And, you know, Davis didn't have his best game. He was, you know, there are a few errors, a service of slow box kicking, as you alluded to, and, and, and the same with, with Costello. Um, uh, but as you know, the halfbacks most of the time are only as good as the pack in front of them and the pack was getting battered in, in the first half. They couldn't get over the gain line, therefore there was slow ball and second half is a role reversal, wasn't it? So yeah. the halfbacks that, that came on did 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 have it not easy, it's never easy, but easier than the ones that started. So I'm I'm a bit on the fence of whether he deserves to be dropped, but obviously they've done the reviews and they've obviously pinpointed that um you know, he, he is to blame a little bit for the um, first half performance. Um, with Costello, it's a bit, bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because they said they said a um, couple of days back that he'd be available, but he has a neural neck issue. So I'm not sure whether that's he's been dropped because of injury or or, or whether it's because of form. It, it is. I think I saw I saw clarification on that yesterday, obviously, because as we're doing this now, Warren Gatlin hasn't faced the media because of the early breast uh, release. He wasn't picked because of his injury. I think it was always the case of, look, if, if he had failed the HIA on Saturday, which is what the initial Gatlins said post-match, then he wouldn't have played this weekend because he's had a, I think he suffered one against Clermont yeah. in the last month and it's a 12-day stand down. So he would just automatically not been involved. So it was always a bit of a weird one. Basically, when they said it wasn't a HIA, as Alex King said, it is good news because it meant he was in contention, but it's still a neck injury and I don't think he was ever really playing. I mean, there's rumours right now floating around that Johan Lloyd could be out. Um, talk of a hamstring injury. I think he's trained this morning in the barn uh, with the rest of the team. Um, yeah. But, you know, by the time this podcast goes out, God knows what will have happened. That could throw Kai Evans in. You could have Thomas Williams covering fly half. You know, it's it's just a sort of situation. Um, we're in with the Wales team at the minute in terms of their fly halves. You know, Dan Biggers doing... Punditry, sorry, we are in the Vales. There are people walking by. I do apologise, but um, yeah, Dan Biggers doing punditry for ITV on the weekend, and he might have to bring his boots at this, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think going back to the Gareth Davis thing, I do think there is an element of he's been made the sort of sacrificial lamb to sort of show there has to be consequences. Yeah, which in a way almost could seem counterintuitive because if you're trying to make people believe that they can have a freedom to play and and sort of play to a fast tempo, then dropping a guy when he doesn't do that the very first thing is almost it's almost scaring the others but I think that's maybe what Gatland feels he has to do with this you know I was speaking to some ex-players here today and even though the coaches clearly didn't think it was their game plan there is an element of well basically the, the one ex-player said to me how often would you you go out under Warren Gatland and think oh, I'll, I'll be alright to chuck this about and you know yeah in, in your head, you're probably thinking, I've got to be a bit risk-averse here. So it is a tough one. And I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how this team goes. Johan Lloyd is the interesting one if if he plays. Yeah. Because um, you've got... He's been like... He's one of the most naturally talented players in Wales, but he, he's... Maybe, maybe this is a bit harsh, but people see him as a, as a player who can really thrive when the game's broken up. You know, he, he was... Obviously, the game suited him in the second half. He played really well, I, I thought, anyway. Um, but at Twickenham, it'd be a lot tighter, less room. 
you know, maybe the pack won't be on the front foot like it was in the second half. So he'll have back rowers in his face and stuff. How 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 is he going to cope under that pressure? Uh, obviously, the pressure of the goal kicking and just sometimes, you know, you just got to go back in the pocket, play the corners. It's going to be quite interesting to see how, how he adapts to that because we know he's talented, but it's about how he gets, how he can sort of get that that talent to really sort of hit home at international level. Will he hold up, will his skills hold up in a scrutiny at test level? So I, I, I'm fascinated to see how, how he goes. Yeah, particularly with the way England are defending now, they're sort of bringing this Springbok-esque um you know, fast blitz. And funny enough, you know, in the segment later, Charlie Morgan will talk a lot more about it in terms of what they're trying to do. And there are ways to get around it. Wales have done that in the past against South Africa in terms of, you know, really attacking that edge. And you've got to be bold and you've got to be brave to do that. And you've got to, well, for starters, you need a bit of go forward in terms of your forwards, which is when Wales may struggle. And then you need to nail your kicking game, which I think... You know, hearing Alex King to speak the other day, I think they've got some tricks up their sleeve. I think that's going to be kick passes and sort of those sort of things. Italy had a bit of success with it. Probably didn't go to it enough. Um, and yeah, it's also holding your depth. And that's going to come down to the centres and, and, and the back three because England's wingers, in theory, are going to fly up and, and sort of try spook you to not get in around them. And then if you do get around them, then in theory, then they're, they're sort of their midfield can because of the nature of how far you're pushing the attack back, you can you can then flood the space. It's just how Wales sort of deal with that because England showed on the weekend that maybe they're not quite there yet. I don't think Elliot Daly's really up to that. And, and, and you know, blitzing takes a lot. You know, speaking to some ex-Ospreys the other day, when they've sort of brought it in, they struggled. When, when Gatlin brought it in, Mark Jones got dropped in the first game at Twickenham, didn't he? Because, because of how they dealt with that sort of uh, blitz you know Mark like a lot of the Wales defenders you know back then in, in 08 were, were used to drifting um, so yeah it's going to be fascinating to see whether England can sort of spook this Welsh backline it might be easier because as you say the lack of maybe the lack of go forward in the pack you know Wainwright's going to have to be to the fore and Tim just carrying Reffles going to have to be to the fore I think Alex Mann is a, a deceptively good carrier in terms of what he does with his footwork he's not the biggest but I think his footwork, and then, yeah, it's going to be on guys like in his second cap, Cam Winnett's communication is going to have to be really good because it's, you know, speaking to Jonathan Davis, Jiffy yesterday for his column, it's the back three and, and how you adjust your depth and how you read that outside blitz, that's the key to getting out of it. So him and the wingers, they're going to be the ones, I think, um, who are really going to have to read this. There's some um, punch on the bench though, isn't it? Because you've got, as you believed it, you've got Don Machowski, who's um, you know, a relatively good ball carrier, quite explosive. Ryan Elias brings a lot of strength as well. Um, and you know, you've got um, Will Rowland's back, which I think is a big boost as well. So um, th there, is, there is some potential impact to come off the bench, which is uh, always a positive at Twickenham. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a punchy bench. The only thing I'm a little bit interested by is the halfbacks. Yeah. Kieran Hardy and Kai Evans. That's quite a kick-heavy halfback combination to come off the bench. So I don't know whether what that sort of uh, it's not going to change the game, is it? If you're chasing it, no, I suppose not. No, I, I guess not. It's, it'll be interesting, but um, yeah, I guess I guess that's the reaction to the team. Uh, like I say, we'll be hearing from Charlie in a little bit on the pod. But first, let's hear from from two men who made their debuts uh, last weekend and are heading to Twickenham. 
incredibly, I think it's about two, three years after they, they made their senior debuts for Cardiff at Twickenham Stoop. It's uh, Alex Mann and Cameron Winner. First of all, gents, congratulations to you both. Um, Cam, speaking to some of your colleagues at Cardiff, last week they were speaking about how good your chat is on the field and, and how demanding you are. What was it like having to take that to the next level with all these internationals on Saturday? Yeah, it's obviously with the noise in the principality as well, it was tough. But yeah, at, at fullback, you just got to really use your voice in the game. And um, yeah, that's why I tried to do it, to be honest, yeah. And Alex, we know about your, your footballing background with Cardiff City. I didn't realise Cam was also a aspiring footballer when he was younger. You weren't quite Cardiff City. <laughs> <laughs> Have you two had a kick around? Because I know you were a pretty tough defender, weren't you? Yeah, uh, you won't want to go up against me, so uh, we let him off. And then Cam, the other thing about you, I, I was told, is you're a very grounded individual. I, I believe you help out with your dad a fair bit in terms of repairing. Um, yeah, so on Saturdays I used to go up and uh, work with him, trying to learn that trade with him. And yeah, I was just getting a bit done with him. What's that been like, just in terms of that? Um, yeah, it was cold. He worked in a garage, so um, yeah, no, but it was good. Waking up at uh, about five in the morning, getting home about six, it was... It was a long day of work and, a, and a, an experience uh, that uh, was good, yeah. Playing rugby is a stroll in the park then. Aye, <laughs> sorry, aye. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we're delighted to be joined on the podcast by Telegraph writer Charlie Morgan. Charlie, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. No, no worries at all. Good weekend in Rome? Yeah, lovely, actually. To be fair, real cliche, lots of lovely food, uh, awesome weather, um, Fitted in some rugby somewhere in the middle of that. That was uh, felt very lucky. And then it all it all comes down to you know come away from that, and it's a it's a Wales England Test week. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, and it's probably more exciting for the fact that these are two teams quite clearly at the start of rebuilding phases. So it's very hard to know, you know, just about anything of, of what's going to happen. Uh, you know, in the next few days. Um, I mean, we've spoken relentlessly about where Wales are in the last few weeks um, and I think Saturday's game has only provided more questions and answers but I guess what we're looking for is a bit of a perspective on on, on England um, what was what was if this was the first step of Steve Borthwick 2.0 what were your impressions of it out in Rome? Generally generally impressed I think sort of maybe um, because of that there was a clarity over what approach they're going to take, um, which is important, I think. And then we always, and it's a really interesting contrast, as you suggest there, mate, that the um, Wales have gone for all-out revolution and Warren Gatlin's done that before, so there isn't necessarily a question of whether he's, um, of what he's doing, because he's sort of all, already, in previous cycles, totally wiped the slate clean. Um, England... Um, have gone for evolution rather than revolution, which always feels, everybody normally says that, don't they? But there's been a real kind of, you can see that happening. You can see that in some positions, they've explicitly um, prioritised experience. So somewhere like that, certainly at the front row, certainly on the left wing where Elliot Daly is there because of his because of his left boot and, his, and that continuity from the World Cup. But then there's also... Um, people coming in so five five debutants for a Six Nations matches I think it was is the most in a single match since one of the Lions Tour games so they played USA here at, at Twickenham 2001 and they there was there was I think 
13 or something crazy like that. But five is quite a lot. And to get them all on um, in the same game feels like quite significant as far as budding new, budding new talent. But sort of more significantly still, I think, is in Rome, we saw this new defensive system, by no means perfect, but certainly that's something they've committed to. And there was a great uh, quote from Jamie George saying, look, they, they cut us a couple of times in the first half, but we stuck at it. That's going to be really important. Um, and then attack, there was just a little bit more ambition in the middle third. In, in, in During the World Cup, England kicked the ball. Uh, I think they kicked the ball every two rucks they were in possession. And it was a bit more, there's a bit more ambition to um, at the weekend in Rome just really interesting now whether they persevere and how they persevere with those with those things going forward because I think it's the the defensive side is, is the bit that fascinates me because obviously it's coming from Felix Jones who's had a lot of success with that in terms of South Africa in the last two World Cups but it's clearly in its infancy and if you look at this weekend you don't know who maybe benefits more I suppose if you look at what Wales did in the second half, you might think that the way that they spread the ball so almost aggressively to the point of overplaying at times, that they, they could be able to, to find weaknesses within this sort of this uh, fledgling system. But then conversely, I don't think this is a Wales team that really knows how they want to play just yet. And, and this, it could be ideal for England to be going against basically a team that, that is sort of not quite confident in where they are yet. Um, you know, the first half was just, as Gatlin said, they went back into safety mode and it was just kick everything. So it, it's going to be fascinating. Maybe for England, this is the ideal second game in terms of this defensive system because I don't know if Wales have enough confidence yet to, to really push the boundaries of, of, you know, that sort of that rush defence that, that England are going to try. Yeah, yeah, maybe absolutely. I think I think in that respect too, Italy was quite a good game to stress test it for England. Um, and as you say, the as you suggest there, Ben, the 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 kind of um, what this really aggressive defensive system will prey on is that uncertainty. Um, however, it's the best games are between two flawed sides. Like that's just a that's just that's just a truth, isn't it? They could they so. Um, yeah, we'll see a hell of a lot of excitement. I think England should they they really did to their credit look more assured in that in that second half. Um Henry Slade seemed to be just a bit more assertive maybe in his communication. The the try that Tommaso Allen scored was exactly how they can't implement this system. Um and it wasn't it's poor poor Elliot Daly was the kind of scapegoat on the on the near side as we were watching from the from the media seats. Um but you could see the situation playing out and it actually started with a really good, um, positive tackle on the far flank by Tommy Freeman off the back of a box kick. And from those situations, you'd actually, yeah, those situations you, you kind of associate with England playing well, don't you? And them sort of swarming off the back of that, that kick chase. But the spacing was absolutely horrible near the ruck. You have five players on the far side of the breakdown marking, uh, one player, if not nobody, which was, which just is, just disastrous for any defensive system. And then Daly had to make the choice to, well, he didn't have to make the choice, but he, he chose, it was just a clear, it was, you could see it going through his head. Is normally I'd probably drift and soften here because I'm facing a five on one, but we've been working on this aggressive, aggressive um, approach. So I'm going to, he, he came in to try and shut off uh, Garbizi and England just got shredded. And the, the kind of what you associate with South Africa, don't you, is one, 
the fullback Vili Larue and latterly Damian Valencia was so underrated to that system because the wingers would be really far in field and they would be sweeping around almost like as an aggressive. They'd be a, that not really a pendulum. It's pendulum motion, but it's super aggressive as part of that pendulum motion. And um, it, Freddie Stewart didn't um, cut the space off beyond daily. And then also with South Africa, you get guys swimming underneath that Russia really, really strongly and. Again, another scapegoat, but poor Joe Marler was sort of corner flagging across and just had no chance. So it was a real, it was a really good illustration. We've got media later today speaking on Monday, sorry, Tuesday um, morning, and we're heading off to Penny Hill in, in a little bit to to hear about how they've maybe reviewed those those things. Um, but absolutely, if Wales are bold, come back around to your question, but if Wales are bold and confident, and they might be freed up by an away game, just it's such a psychological kind of basket case this tournament. They might be freed up by a away game to really give it a crack and, and approach approach it with the same sort of freedom as they did in the second half at, at Murrayfield, and that could be that could be even more dangerous for England. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think weirdly in the last few years, I feel like Wales have probably attacked South Africa as well as they've attacked anyone. Um, you know, I, I know you say that the South Africa do swim really aggressively, sort of underneath and they almost invite you to throw those missed passes and to get outside their wingers because they know that they're just going to just sort of flood the space that you have to almost go very far backwards to get around them. But maybe England won't do that sufficiently and um, maybe there's there's a chance there for Wales if, if they sort of look at their examples against South Africa in recent years. Uh, speaking of sort of English personnel who, who might fit the system, it's... Off the bench, Emmanuel Feweboso looks like the sort of winger who would fit this uh, this sort of system quite well. I mean, we've spoken about him a hell of a lot in Wales <laughs> over the last couple of months. Um, could he be in line for a start against the country of his birth this weekend? I'm unsure. Again, we'll find out more more this afternoon. But if you're bang on that he fits the system, he's, it's I'm fairly convinced that he would have caught the eye because of the way that Exeter are defending. Um, and in harness with Henry Slade, he's actually first involvement. I got, um, I got the pelters on social media for sort of posting his first involvement. Um, and people saying it was over uh, analyzing, but I, I maintain that I wasn't over analyzing because he, he shot in, um, Henry Slade made a, a really kind of proactive read, which was really good and, and rushed, uh, Garbizi on another rap play and Feo Boso followed him. Um, the ball actually went beyond uh, Fayou Boso, but it had been a rush pass, so it was bobbling. And Fayou Boso initially got handed off by Montiorni, but got back to force him into touch. And it looks messy, but that's exactly what England want. And they ended up with a sort of a gain of about five metres and a turnover. That's the end result of the play, which is overwhelmingly positive, right? Um, I think he, I think he does really suit. Um, what England want from the from in the defence, and he's also really busy around the rucks and picking up touches, which is what they what they certainly want from their wings. In light of the fact that they've got they haven't got those big carriers in the pack really anymore, um, so he suits a lot of things. And so there's one there's one sort of strand as to why it was fairly predictable that he'd be involved, and then the other one was just Steve Borthwick bigging him up vol- vol- voluntarily. It, it was really really quite interesting to to hear him um, to hear Steve sort of go. He got asked on January 4th, I think it was a presser when um, they unveiled, they sort of explained that Kevin Sinfield had been moving on and 
um, that Felix Jones would be taking charge of the defence. And he got asked who's playing well in the Premiership, just totally open book. And Fayo Boso was one of three that he mentioned alongside Roots and Greg Fizzalow, who didn't make the squad eventually. But your ears prick up, don't they? Because he's got an open book and he's that's who he's picked. And actually, the, well, one of the funniest moments about this whole episode was your question, Ben, at the, at the Six Nations launch when you asked uh, Steve how Faye were both so qualified and Steve wasn't exactly sure was he said he'd get back to you has he got back to you in fairness the, the RFU got back to me very quickly on that one which is quite impressive I'm not surprised it was quick it was either going to be quick or not at all <laughs> I guess um, but yeah it's interesting because you sort of see comments on him on social media and a lot of people have questioned his defending this year and I think it's probably because he doesn't maybe suit that sort of traditional idea of, you know, it makes his tackles. But then I saw a comment on on your piece, uh, someone on Twitter replied saying that maybe this system suits the wingers who aren't what you would consider the traditional defenders because it's about being aggressive and maybe it's messy, but it's it's spooking people into mistakes rather than almost, you know, drifting and making the tackle. Yeah, yeah, t- yeah totally. Um, so I spoke to Jerry Fannery. This is super ironic as well. Jerry Fannery... Um, the Harlequins coach currently who's, who's been linked very heavily with a move to South Africa to oversee their defence after in the post Dean Arbour era. And he was talking, asking him about how he'd sort of implemented a Springboks-like system at Harlequins for this season. And he's really good talker, really articulate and sort of generous with his insight. And he said, look, the, the 13s and the 14s and the 11s that South Africa have had traditionally are really mobile and agile and on that turn. So if you think about players of the profile like uh, Kurt Lierenza, um Cheslin Colby, um, in, in, and, and Joe Marchant would be someone, ironically, again, who's gone to France, but it would be perfect for it. The guys who can push up and then push up and pressurise, and then if they get beaten by a pass or um, a cross kick, which is which I'll come back to at the end of this, but... Um, then they can push off and make the and make the um, and make the kind of ground up on the outside to make still make a tackle. Whether that's sort of on the gain line, you still still sort of teams are going to have to work really well to get around you, really hard to get around you, regardless of how narrow you are. Basically, if that makes sense. Um, but yes, yeah, just to come back to the kicking point really quickly, um, I thought it was really interesting in the wake of England's last trip to Cardiff for the World Cup warm-ups that there was that footage that came out about Sam Costello talking about how they weren't going to give England or Freddie Stewart what they wanted as far as just um, high balls and box kicks in a fairly predictable manner and they they then um, played out that game plan really well didn't they with a bit of variation off turn and their kicking I think that's going to be a key battleground today how Wales sorry today this weekend um, how Wales impart pressure with their kicking game and where they aim those kicks because as the Cardiff game of the Six Nations showed, that fairly telegraphed box kicks is exactly what Freddie Stewart wants um, and then what England want by by extension. And actually cross kicks, kick passes could be more dangerous with this system in, in place because those wings are going to have to come in, in field. Italy tried it once early on and then sort of put it away, which was a bit strange. There was one over the top of Tommy Freeman, who actually probably looked slightly more comfortable in the system than Elliot Daly did. But it still found space, and it was a it was a fortunate bounce. I think that actually got back to England from the floor, um, but then they put it away sort of for the rest of the game, which was quite quite interesting. If I were Wales, I'd be looking for that space often, and um, yeah, often in quite in a quite targeted way, because then what you're getting is Stuart 
doing what is probably not the most strong at, which is making up that ground um, on the outside of his wingers and really testing his pace over the ground, which is which should be pretty interesting. No, well, and I mean, feasibly, at least one of the wingers this weekend is probably going to be a Cardiff winger, whether that's Mason Grady or Josh Adams. And particularly there at the Arms Park, you know, they, they've been doing training drills this season. We've seen it in their warm-ups. Um, they might have done it in the before the Bath and the, the Quinns games, where basically the defence aren't allowed into the, the sort of the wider channels to defend. There's like a five, ten metre space where defence aren't allowed in, but the, the wingers and, and the centres can stay out there. And it's just to encourage that sort of that kick-pass game. Whether we see that that from Wales um, this weekend sort of remains to be seen. Uh, it, it was sort of <laughs> two extremes in terms of their their kicking game on on Saturday. It was either telegraph pre calls of you know sitting in the pocket ten meters behind or box kicks in the Scottish half or just no kicking at all. You mentioned earlier the sort of the players who had impressed in in the Premiership. Um, obviously, Faye Boso, but Ethan Roots was another, and he's someone who left Wales last year and and there wasn't there wasn't much of a fuss about it I think mainly because Exeter announced the deal for him at the same time they announced Joe Hawkins which obviously ruled him out of the World Cup and and, and was a big talking point because there was a lot of confusion about that but you know Ethan Roos was always someone at the Ospreys who was just so consistent in his performances and you know had he stayed another couple of years he, he probably would have qualified to Wales on residency and he would have been an option but I think his debuts go you know, Saturday was was very good, wasn't it? Yeah, really impressive. And actually really impressive as well how England lent on him. And that says a lot for him, his character. Um, maybe the fact that he's doing this a little bit later, he's 26, I think. Um, I actually initially thought he was 24, but because his, his uh, age is listed wrongly. I'm, I'm passing the buck there. But um, yeah, I gaffed it in my first article on him, thought he was 24, but he's 26. So, and that makes a lot of sense. That comes through a bit, actually. He took first line out of the game, England threw to him. And England have been missing, he's, he sort of ticks a lot, a lot of boxes. England were never going to be able to replace Courtney Laws like for like. No team in the world really can do that. Um, but what they got is a bruising carrier who's also offers them that, that line out, that auxiliary line out option. Um, bit of dog around the breakdown too. And he was, and he was great. We, we heard a lot of positive reports about his attitude. And he was on, he was so mentioned that he was one of the three that, Steve Borthwick mentioned out of nowhere, it, that was even more shocking than Manu. I was, I was convinced Manu Oboso was just the, the chat about him being qualifying for England. I, I passed off, to be honest, because I thought he'd just be picked by Wales. Um, so that was quite a shock. But then Ethan Root, somebody that I didn't even realise qualified for England, was sort of, was like, okay, you've done your homework on this guy. That, that's likely, likely that he's going to be part of the thinking. Um, and I'm not sure he would have started had George Martin been fit for the start of this tournament because I think they might have gone with um, those three sort of hybrids in Itoji, Chesham and Martin together. Um, but he's made himself pretty hard to drop for this for this week. And um, certainly going forward, he's just a bit different. Versatile as well. I think they finished, uh, they finished the game with um, him at open side and Chandler Cumlingham South at blind side. Um, but yeah, really, really impressed by him. And, um, but also just, yeah, testament, testament to him, um, and the team, how the team sort of trusted him and, and roots his kind of character all thrown in there. Uh, I guess the sort of the final point on England before we, we wrap up is 
there's been a lot of talk, particularly from Jamie George, about this being a new era and, and sort of trying to get the fans on side. Obviously, there were points in the World Cup where, you know, the team were booed. And I, I see there's sort of uh, some measures in place for their first game back at Twickenham, I think, uh, in terms of getting the fans more involved in the, in the match day experience. Just, just what are your thoughts on, on that and how that's going to sort of work in practice? Because... Like we say, it, it is a new era, and, and Wales are, are coming to to it also in a new era. Is this is this something that maybe Wales can exploit if there is a sort of not not a rift between the sort of the fans of the team, but clearly there's a, a slight disconnect. I think Jamie George's own uncle said it, didn't he? Yeah, no, I think that is definitely something that Wales can exploit if they hang tough for half an hour. Even I think there'll be a there'll be a sense of sort of England fans like looking around and wondering uh, wondering what's going on. Before the World Cup, I really wanted to write a piece about how one of the the second warm-up game against Wales, I thought, was more important than England were letting on um, as far as getting a positive result. Because if you think about it, their last their last game against Twickenham, at uh, Twickenham, sorry, against Twickenham, uh, Freudian slip, the last game at Twickenham before that um, World Cup warm-up game was the the thumping against France. And it wasn't just the manner of that performance. It wasn't just the manner of that result, sorry. It was the manner of that performance and the fact that um, when a kick-heavy game plan, and ironically, they played a bit against Scotland in the first in their first time in the first game. Um, then they kicked a little bit more against Italy, mauled for their tries in that game. Um, and it was maybe a bit subdued. And then they had the France game. And then I think... There was a real, it went, when a really bare game plan as England went to the World Cup with and performed it well, but when they weren't performing it well, it, it is, it's an eyesore, right? And I think that's what, that's, and, and, and that's what fans were urging. And I think Owen Farrell and Fairley became the sort of face of that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the reaction to the Italy game has, has been really interesting in that regard because it's sort of been, I mean, the media media get panned, don't don't we for maybe negativity sometimes? But I think it's I think it's the the negativity is certainly coming from the fans and the and the sort of you know well, when are, when are we gonna when are, when are England gonna throw it around and and stuff like that? And it's just not the way it's gonna work, you know, for for a little bit at least. And um and I think that'll be a sentiment that sentiment will will come through unless England start very well. So yeah, absolutely. I think and I'd be absolutely stunned if that isn't something that Warren Gatland addresses at some point this week um, absolutely stunned we'll see yeah he is getting back to his grenade throwing best he's, he's still quite quiet but he's he's getting there I guess the, the the final thing to to ask is sort of how you see this one going it's sort of neck on the block time really um, yeah I, th- I think England will win um, and I think It'll be by just over a score, maybe more. Just be, just because I, I just think that um, there are enough frailties in that first half uh, from Wales to 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 showing sort of England if they if they outweigh if they're accurate in the kicking exchanges, I think and they they'll keep the ball away from. Um, I don't think they'll give Tommy Rafael too much to go out, so they'll have to they'll have to kick a little bit. But if they can sort of. Um, create or they can win win those kicking exchanges and create off the back of those. Um, I think that's going to be quite important for them. Uh, Tommy Rafael, incidentally, is one of um, 
one of Steve Borthwick's son's favourite players. That's quite interesting. So he certainly he certainly respects he certainly respects Tommy Rafael, and why wouldn't he? He's an awesome, awesome player. Um, but yeah, I think England England being at home, um, yeah, sh- should see them through, and they and then that gives them actually, and it's more important. It seems really important, not more important to them, but it's very important for them because it sets them up for that Murrayfield game. Um, <laughs> As and then you know that and then that becomes even bigger. Yeah, and I guess it has no bearing, I, perhaps in terms of the performance on the weekend. But I guess the irony is that that performance by Wales on the weekend was was basically every Welsh performance at Twickenham since 2015, wasn't it? It was awful first half, and then suddenly come back into it in the second half. Yeah, apart from that, apart from that second warm-up game. Yeah, it's, it was yeah the old um, the old switcheroo. Yeah, yeah, I. It's it's nuts, and, and just to kind of bring this full circle, like come back coming back to the beginning, games between two flawed sides, you can prick them all you like. I think I, I think I said I thought I thought England would just about have enough on on Saturday. They did they did just, but um, Italy Italy will be gutted that they didn't pull away from seventeen eight ahead. Um, so actually, the predictions are just crazy, yeah, crazy in this in this tournament at this point of the World Cup cycle, but should should make it fascinating. Indeed it will. Um, well, Charlie, I hope you enjoy the game on the weekend. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming on. Mate, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. <laughs>